Turn your Bibles to the book of Genesis. It's hard to find. You go all the way to the back of your Bible, you'll find the Revelation. Then go all the way back through 66 books to the front, and that's Genesis, all right? Genesis chapter number 47 this morning. We're going to talk about Joseph again. Joseph, a young man in the Bible that I think is a perfect, almost, example and uh, type of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've enjoyed immensely the study. I don't know if you've enjoyed the preaching, but I have enjoyed the study. It's been good for me. I take up the study in chapter 37, and then you jump a chapter in 38, and then 39 through the rest of the book of Genesis has to deal with Joseph, his family, and their relationships with each other. In Genesis chapter 37, we discover a young man by the name of Joseph, who's 17 years of age. Um, very, very cocky young man, uh, living with uh, 11 brothers and some sisters and so forth and so on. And uh, 10 brothers thinks he's a little spoiled brat. And in fact, probably at the age of 17, he was a spoiled brat. I know a lot of folks that's spoiled brats at the age of 17. Uh, I had two sisters that way. <laughs> and I've raised six kids, and all of them at 17 usually managed to get along that realm. But a uh, very cocky little young boy he was at the age of 17, hated by his brothers, living in a dysfunctional family, a very passive father. His mother died and given birth to his younger brother. And he was sold into slavery by his brothers at the age of 17. Shipped down into Egypt. <clears throat> there at the slave market was sold to Potiphar. And uh, run his household for a while until his wife started running him. And um, falsely accused, imprisoned, lied about forgot about, and was promoted to prime minister of one of the most magnificent, <coughs> powerful nations on the earth at that time. Joseph is now prime minister. Joseph now is the prince of all of Egypt. If you would study Egypt at about that time, you'd find that they were very an artistic nation, heavy in architecture, very, very proficient in medical uh, technology. Today, we still do not have the embalming fluid they embalmed the mummies with. Today, we still do not have a crane, a machine to put the top rock on the pyramids. They did it a very, very exciting nation, a very creative nation, a very industrious nation. And all of a sudden, a Hebrew lad of some 30 years of age has now become prime minister, prince of all the nation, secretary to the president, his own entourage. As he drives through the streets of Egypt, everybody recognized Joseph 
because somebody's in front of the entourage saying, bow, Joseph is coming. Joseph is coming. He's now in charge of all the supplies of Egypt. He has interpreted Pharaoh's dream. The seven years of plenty has passed. And now we're two years into the world's worst famine. All the food supplies dried up. The water is scarce. And Joseph's brothers who sold him into Egypt has now become hungry. And his father who thinks Joseph is dead hears that there's food supplies in Egypt. And Jacob sends the ten boys who sold their brother into slavery to Egypt to get corn and food. Not knowing to the brothers that the brother they sold, Joseph, is the man they have to talk to to get food supplies. Now, Joseph no longer looks like a Hebrew. Joseph no longer has a beard. Joseph now is a clean-shaven fella with the clothing of an Egyptian. In fact, he looks like an Egyptian. And the ten brothers has now had to confront Joseph, not recognizing who he is, and trying to buy food supplies for the family. Joseph recognizes them, but does not tell them who he is. And for three chapters, chapter 42, 43, 45, Joseph is testing the brothers. And the test is severe. They pass the test, and Joseph has now sent for his father to bring all his father's family down into Egypt so Joseph can take care of them. And we read now in verse 47, chapter 47, verse 1. The Bible said, And Joseph came and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brethren and their flocks and their herds and all that they are, all that they have, are come into the land, has come from the land of Canaan, and behold, they are in the land of Goshen. Jacob and his family and his flocks and all they have is now undertaking the move from Canaan to Egypt. You might wonder, how did the Hebrews get into Egypt? Here's how they got in. And they went into Egypt so that Joseph could take care of them. And he took some of his brethren, even five men, and presented them unto Pharaoh. Joseph the prince is now presenting his family to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto his brethren, What is your occupation? And they said unto Pharaoh, Thy servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. And they said, Moreover unto Pharaoh, For to sojourn in the land we are come. Now watch that. They didn't come to stay. They just came to sojourn. That meant 
They didn't come to stay. They just come to kind of survive. They had no idea how long they'd stay, but they stayed 430 years in Egypt. And when they left Egypt, that's the beginning of the book of Exodus. When Moses takes the children of Israel out of Egypt, there could have been, watch this, three and a half million folks. Seventy folk went in. Three plus million went out. One leader, Moses. Slave nation. No rules, no laws, no regulation. They came in hungry, 70. They went out 3 million high-handed with plenty. Watch this now. They came into sojourn, and thy servants have no pasture for their flocks. For the famine, like Joseph said, the famine is sore in the land of Canaan. Now, therefore, we pray thee, let thy servants dwell in the land of Goshen. And Pharaoh spake unto Joseph, saying, Thy father and thy brethren are come unto thee. The land of Egypt is before thee. In the best of the land, make thy father and brethren to dwell. I like that, don't you? In the best of the land. In the best of the land. It's not like the land we gave to the American Indians. It's the best of the land. In the land of the Goshen let them dwell. And if thou knowest any men of activity among them. In other words if there's any folks among the Hebrews that's not lazy like the Egyptians. We'd like to put them over our cattle. Welfare always tough on folk. And Joseph brought in Jacob his father and set him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh said unto Jacob, How old art thou? And Jacob said unto Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are a hundred and thirty years. Few and evil have the days of the years of my life been. And I have not attained unto the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before Pharaoh. And Joseph placed his father and his brethren and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph nourished his father and his brethren, and all his father's household with bread according to their families. Let's pray and we'll just take just a moment this morning and see just a few things about this fellow by the name of Joseph. Our Father today, we thank you so very much for everyone that's here this day. I pray that you'd bless the message. I pray that we'd be swift to hear. And Lord, that we'd apply the principles that is here before us to our lives today. We ask it and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Notice verse 11 and 12 for our text, if you would please. And Joseph 
Joseph. Joseph. Joseph, the perfect type of Christ. Joseph, the Savior, who had the food supplies to save two nations. Joseph, the ruler. Joseph, the brother. Joseph, the friend. And now today, Joseph, the prince. Joseph, the prince, placed his father and his brethren and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And now notice, and Joseph nourished his father, took care of him, fed him, blessed him. And his brethren, those who had wronged him, those who had thrown him into the pit, those who had wanted to kill him, those who hated him beyond all comprehension, Joseph nourished his brethren. That's different, isn't it? Than us, we'd have got even. We'd have ate hot dogs in front of them and let them watch us eat them. And all his father's household with bread according to their families. As I've learned, as I've read, and I've studied about Joseph, I think it's a great study for anybody that would like to know, would like to maybe get, get involved in one of the most exciting stories in all of literature. How that this 17-year-old boy could be mistreated, abused, persecuted, lied to, lied about, incarcerated, thrown in prison, forgotten all of these many years, how that he could kill, still keep a sweet spirit about him, a spirit of forgiveness, a spirit of humility, maybe a spirit of Christ, and come out on the winning side regardless of what happens to him. I think it's a great study. If you look at Joseph, you would find that Joseph was blessed with a combination of wonderful gifts and graces. For instance, if you should study his life, you would see that he had the dignity and faith of his grandfather Abraham. Dignity and faith. You'd also see, if you studied, that you'd see the purity and the power of Isaac. You'd also study and find that he had the warm heart and the affection of his father Jacob. If there's one thing that stands out about Joseph, he had impeccable integrity. It did not make any difference. Regardless of where he was, he loved God. He served God. He honored God. He had integrity to spare, regardless if it was with females, finances, or family. He kept his integrity. He was who he was everywhere he was. When he was lied to and molested by the opposite sex, he was not afraid to leave his coat in her hand 
He left his coat, but he kept his character. When he had uh, control of all the money and wealth and finances in all of Egypt and of all of Canaan. The Bible explicitly says that he had all the money of England, uh, of Canaan and Egypt. Because all the money had been spent to buy food from him for them to survive. When he had all the money, he did not create for himself an offshore an account. He did not try to beat the RS or the tax. He was honest and had integrity with his money. And he was honest and had integrity with his family. Lord, how we could learn some lessons from this man by the name of Joseph. Joseph was a winner. He was successful in every area of his life. He was an overcomer and a perfect example for all of us to follow who would like to learn what character and integrity and honesty and dignity was all about. What a, what a, what a man. This is a man that would turn obstacles into opportunities. Uh, this is a man that when problems came, they were not problems to him, but they looked like possibilities. Here's a man who was a prisoner but became the prince. Oh, how we need to learn from folk like that. Whatever happened to the pioneer spirit in America? It went down the drain with welfare. Whatever happened with the great American hope? It went out when everybody got everything given to them on a plate, bless your heart. And now they're unappreciative of it. I have learned over these many, many years of, of just being alive, sometimes God uses difficulties to make people who they are. Do you know it don't take any brains to quit? You don't have to be educated to quit. All you got to do to quit is to be a quitter. Well, I, I, I'm just going to quit. Well, you can do that when you can't do anything else. So won't you do something else right now? Quit. Joseph was not a quitter. Joseph was a survivor. Joseph was an overcomer. By the way, I don't know if you know this or not. But Joseph was not an excuse kind of guy. What's wrong with just being truthful and honest and saying, I don't have anything because I'm lazy. And I'm satisfied with being lazy. Amen. But I read something recently. A study of highly successful people like Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Helen Keller, Winston Churchill, Albert Schweitzer, Muhammad Gandhi, Albert Einstein. The study of people like that revealed that one-fourth of all who have succeeded had handicaps such as blindness, deafness, and crippled limbs. 
and three-fourths of all the people who have been successful in this world was either born in poverty, came from broken homes, or came from an intense, disturbed environment. You do not have to be born rich to be a success. Did you know that the majority of the New Testament epistles was written from prison? Pilgrim's Progress, written by John Bunyan, was written from jail. And did you know, and I'm sure you do, that Florence Nightingale, who was too ill to be moved from her bed, reformed all of England's hospitals from a bedside. You don't have to be born with a silver spoon in your mouth to become successful. So get off of it and get on with it. No excuse kind of guy. Joseph the survivor in our text today is Joseph the prince. No longer a prisoner, but a prince. No longer a beggar, no longer a slave, but a prince. And as prince, watch what he does in the first place. He saves lives. Verse 25 in your text. Verse 25 in your text. Have you heard anything recently in the political scene about tax reform. Have you heard anything said lately about flat tax? Guess where they got that? Genesis 47. Everybody in Egypt paid the same tax. 20%. Everybody. Everybody. You say, that's an awful lot of tax. I don't know if you know this or not, but you probably work until June of every year to pay your tax. I mean, you've got income tax, outgoing tax, old people tax, gift tax, gas tax, bull tax. Huh? And then when you die, you got tax on that. So your family can't use what you got. Well, that had nothing to do with the sermon. I just thought you'd like to know that. If you want to find something out about it, read chapter 47 of the book of Genesis. You'll find more there and you'll find a long place. Verse 25. As prince, he saves lives. They said, thou hast saved our lives. Joseph, with his foresight, Joseph, with the vision of God, Joseph, with his administrative skills, Joseph had now reserved all the crops for seven years. 
one-fifth of everything that had been grown in the nation of Egypt has now been saved and set aside for the seven years of famine that is going to take place. Joseph not only built the silos, Joseph had the key to the silos. And the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Prince Joseph, you have saved our lives. Joseph had done a good job. Joseph, the prince, had sufficient funds, sufficient food, and sufficient faith to supply all of their needs. What a man. What a man. And then I was thinking one day that there was another Joseph whose name was Jesus. And by the way, his business is saving lives. Just like Joseph. You say, preacher, what are you talking about? I read this morning as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be raised up, and whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved this old world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Like Joseph saved the Egyptians, our Jesus is willing to save everybody who comes to him. The Bible says about Jesus, I don't know if you remember this or not, and this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. Now watch this. And this life is in His Son. Did you know the Bible said, He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. I want you to know today, just knowing about Jesus is not enough to have eternal life. Just reading about Jesus is not enough. If you do not have Jesus, you do not have life. The Bible says that we, in Christ, the Bible says, I am come that you might have life and have it more abundant. Just like Joseph was sent to Egypt to sustain life. Just like Joseph planned it out, worked it out, and was faithful to the plan. Now all of Egypt could eat. Just like Joseph, our Jesus, came to this Egypt, if you please. And he now has dispersed life to all who would come. But you got to have Jesus if you're going to have life. There's no heaven without Jesus. There's no life without Jesus. And thank God, our Joseph saves lives. You say, preacher, he saved my soul. Let me tell you something. He saved my life. The places I were hanging and the places I was going and the things that I was doing, I'll guarantee had not I got saved 50 years ago, I'd have been dead 35 years ago. Now some of you guys, your halo's on crooked today. Some of you guys just rotten as I was. I mean, you spelled your name Ima. And your last name was M-E-S-S. Amen. And if you hadn't met Jesus, probably you'd either be in jail or dead. 
and He saved you. He not only saved your life, but He saved your rotten soul. Amen? Some of you met Him when you still had hair. He didn't promise to save your hair. He said He'd save your soul. He saved some of your marriages. He saved some of your kids. He saved your family. He saved some of your fortunes. But he's in the saving business. Amen. That's what this church is all about. This church is not about Christmas lights, and it's not about beautiful architecture, and it's not about paying bills, and it's not about tithe, it's not about that. It's about you getting right with God and allowing Jesus Christ to not only save your soul, but to save your life and give you life more abundant, abundant life. Man, abundant life to me is sitting at the house with my feet up and my wife waiting on me. We'll get there one day. It's a slow trek, but boy, we're getting there. Amen. Yeah. Little boy in prison. Now the prince. The prince, the prisoner. With the hand of an omnipotent and almighty God as he worked very meticulously in his life and taught him everything he needed to know to become prime minister. The leader of the greatest nation on the earth at that time. Now he's in charge. Now, as prince, he offers life. Oh. Didn't our prince get on the golden staircase of glory and walk down through the eons of time and got off in Bethlehem still? Born a wee little baby, raised in poverty and obscurity, raised in a carpenter's shop, rejected by his own, hung on a cross, and now God's exalted him to his right hand, ever making intercession for our sin, our prince, our Joseph. Stands ready to give life to all who would have. Not only does he give life, Joseph the prince sustains life. Notice verse 12 of, verse, of chapter 47. Verse 12 says, And Joseph nourished his father and his brethren and all his household with bread according to their families. He not only saved their lives, but he sustained and nourished their lives. All that they needed was supplied. Isn't that wonderful? Kind of reminds me of another Joseph who said, But my God 
shall supply all of your need according to his riches in glory. Does anybody remember that? He not only saved my life, he did. Sure as the world, I'd have been a dead man today. But he saved my soul. And for 50 years now, listen to me, 50 years, he's been paying the bills, buying the food. For 50 years, I've punched no man's time clock. For 50 years, I've taken no man's paycheck. For 50 years, he's nourished and fed and supplied my every need, want, and desire. Please help me just a minute as I say, Amen, preacher! He did not save me to let me starve. He did not save me to let me get off into the world again and end up in prison. He did not save me that I might get addicted to some pornography scene or to some alcoholic drug or to some other thing. He saved me to nourish me. And he's been faithful ever since. Faithful. Can you understand that? Faithful. Somebody said, well, the preacher, he he just got too much stuff. You need to take it up with the stuff giver then. I'm a junkie. I like junk. I've got lots of junk. I got so much junk, I can't keep up with my junk. But God is faithful to give me the desires of my heart. My Joseph loves me much more than Joseph loved those ten renegade brothers of his. Jesus loves me so much that he gave his all for me. Oh, he nourishes them. My God said he'd supply all of my need according to his riches and glory. Could I please give you just a few examples? I've got to go because it's 12 o'clock already. Let me just share with you. He nourishes us. Jesus said that he is the bread of life. John 6 says, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. Did you understand that? John 6, 33 says, And the bread of God cometh down from heaven and feedeth the world. And then Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And he that takes of me shall never hunger again. You know, when I got saved, there was a hunger that was absolutely fulfilled. After I got saved, I had no hunger for booze anymore. I don't know why. 
After I got saved, I had no, 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 no hunger to hang out where I'd been hanging out before. Now, when I got saved, it seemed like the bread of God just filled all of those empty places that I was trying to fill someplace else. Jesus said, I'm not only the bread of life, I'm the water of life, and whosoever drinketh of this water, I shall give him, shall never thirst again. Isn't it amazing when I got saved, the bread of God and the water of God completely satisfied some of the things that I was chasing for. Jesus is the light of life, the light of the world. He that followeth, he shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Isn't that amazing? When I got saved 50 years ago, things lit up. Now they're looking bad. They used to look good. Isn't it amazing? When I got saved, I used to listen to things now I don't like to listen to anymore. Isn't it amazing? Some of the things I used to laugh at before I got saved, now I don't laugh at anymore. That's the light of God. That's the water of God. That's the bread of God. Isn't it amazing? Do you know whenever the light shines on, it might show you husbands, you need to treat your wives better. You're welcome, wives. She's not your slave. She should be your princess. She's not the old lady. She should be your darling. She ought to be out chopping firewood. Deadbeat, go buy her stove. She don't need wood in. You love her or somebody else will. You tell her how pretty she is or somebody else will. But I'm not that kind of guy. You might ought to wise up, dummy. You might ought to get a hold of a loaf of bread from God and go get you some water from God and get you some light from God so that you might see it's probably a pretty good deal you got at the house. All you got to do is look in the mirror and you will see you've got a good deal. And I've, you know, I was raised on a farm, and I do know what makes grass green. <laughs> so if it looks greener on the other side of the fence, probably you get over there barefooted, walk around, and you'll find out why the grass is green. You know, so I ain't smiling. It saved me a lot of time if you guys start acting right. You're welcome. Let me close, because I think I just did. <laughs> Joseph the prince, and his prince, he saves lives. And his prince, he sustains life. i got to close. And as prince, he gave them a tremendous inheritance. Verse 27 and 28. Watch this. 27. And Israel... The whole nation, 70 of them. And Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt, in the country of Goshen. And they had possessions therein, and grew and multiplied 
exceedingly. Joseph gave him an inheritance. The land of Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt. Joseph was told by Pharaoh, give them the best. And the Bible said, in the best of the land, make thy father and thy brethren to dwell. Joseph could could have given Jacob and his family any place in Egypt. But since they were shepherds, and since they had flocks, he gave them the fertile Jordan River Valley, the best of the land, the most fertile to raise their cattle. And if you start reading the book of Exodus, you'll find that this nation blossomed and bloomed in this place called Goshen, an inheritance. Now, I need to be careful. The Father told Jesus, give them the very best. Jesus said, well, would streets of pure gold be all right? Would mansions on Hallelujah Boulevard be all right? Would fruit fruit trees down each side of the street be all right? And the Bible said that you and I who are been born again, who've been saved, have an inheritance. In my father's house are many what? What? Not manufacturing housing. One good thing about it in heaven, they ain't got wheels on it. It's permanent. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. An inheritance. Can I please read you this? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, I've never inherited anything in the world except bills. Either that or all my kinfolk took their money to heaven with them. But I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. 
in that bright land. And it is a never-ending inheritance, unspoiled inheritance, never-fading inheritance, kept in heaven by the power of God, inheritance, and it's on its way. It's on its way. Now I'll get it one day by one of two avenues, either by death or at the second coming of Jesus Christ. But I have an inheritance in heaven reserved for me, undefiled, unspotted, that fadeth not away, reserved for me in heaven by the Lord Jesus himself. I've got an inheritance. But now be careful. If you don't get a thing, don't miss this. My inheritance is based upon relationship. Hmm? My inheritance is based upon relationship. You don't get it for just breathing God's air. You don't get it because you are a conservative Republican. You don't get it because you're a liberal Democrat. You don't get it because you're an American. You don't get it because you're a good daddy or a good mama. The inheritance that God has for you is dependent upon relationship. You got that? I, I said, please now listen. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. If you're not a child of God, you don't inherit it. Your inheritance in heaven is dependent upon your relationship. I've got a home in heaven because that's where my father lives. And if God is not your father... You have an inheritance, all right, but it's not up, it's down. You say, but I'm a pretty good guy. There's a lot of good people in hell. But none of God's children are in hell. Do you understand that? The Bible says, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, said, if you want to see heaven, you must be born again. You've got to be born into God's family to be one of God's inheritance. The Bible said, Now as many as receive him, Christ, to them gave he the power to become sons of God. I'm glad that I'm a child of God. Amen. Now I don't act like it sometimes, but God ain't past taking me out the woodshed either. Amen. And that's how you find out if you're really saved or not. 
The next time you act like you ain't saved, God take you to the woodshed and use the triple barrel razor strap on you two or three times and he'll get your attention. Because they that without chastisement are not legitimate children, the Bible says. Now notice. Which were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh or the will of man, but of God. Everything God promises you in heaven is dependent upon you being one of his children. Because inheritance is dependent upon relationship. Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. By faith. So if heaven is a place you'd like to spend eternity, the best thing for you to do is get your relationship straightened out. And you do that by faith. By simply believing that Jesus Christ is eternal life.